Hey there, today's episode is brought to you by Chargebee and Vitaly. Chargebee just launched their 2024 State of the Subscriptions and Revenue Growth Report, packed with retention insights and strategies from over 300 of the fastest growing subscription businesses. You can grab a copy of the report today by visiting chargebee.com forward slash churnfm. That's C-H-A-R-G-E-B-E-E dot C-O-M forward slash C-H-U-R-N-F-M. And Vitaly is bringing in a new era for customer success productivity with their all-in-one customer success platform. Vitaly gives you unmatched visibility into your company's health and success. And now you can measure operational strategies on customer outcomes at scale with goals directly in Vitaly. They're also currently giving away a free pair of AirPods to all ChurnFM listeners when you take a qualified demo with them. So if you're in the market for a CS platform, visit vitaly.io forward slash churnfm today to schedule your demo and get your airpods that's v-i-t-a-l-l-y dot i-o forward slash c-h-u-r-n-f-m if you decide to check either of them out please make sure to use the links quoted as it allows them to measure the roi of this campaign and helps me retain them as our sponsors to continue producing churnfm as an independent creator with that being said let's jump to today's episode Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show, I have an extremely exciting announcement to make, and I'm joined by a special guest, Banos Papadopoulos, partner at Marathon Venture Capital. In this episode, we talked about what Banos misses the most about being an entrepreneur, having made his move into venture capital. We also discussed why every VP or C-level of a company should spend time on support, and dove into why communication alignment within a team is critical when it comes to combating churn and increasing retention. We then discussed why Banos and team have decided to invest in a new startup I'm launching called Avrio. I'm extremely excited to share the news with you first on ChurnFM, as for those that don't know, I started the show to build an audience before building a product. And after two years and 120 plus episodes later, today is the day we're launching. If you're eager to find out what we're building, you can jump straight to the announcement at 25 minutes in. Also, if you'd like to join us on the journey, we've kept a small window and allocation available for ChurnFM listeners who would like to participate in the round. So if what we're building excites you and you want to learn more, I want to hear from you. As always, and more so today, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode. And if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Not just gun for revenue in the door. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Panos, welcome to the show. Hey, Andrew, it's great to be here. It's a pleasure. For the listeners, uh, Panos is a partner at Marathon Venture Capital, helping ambitious founders build world-class companies. Uh, Panos started his career out as a software engineer and went on to co-found Stay in Athens. He then moved from Greece to Palo Alto and served as the VP of Engineering at Game Yola before founding his own company again called BugSense. Uh, he then went and built up BugSense to a successful exit to Splunk, where he served as their Director of Product Management. 
It was then he started angel investing and Panos is an advisor and board member at several startups. So my first question for you, Panos, is do you miss it? Now that you're on the investor side hmm. full time, do you miss being on the other side? Uh, yes, I do. And I have talked uh, a lot about it. You know, you're missing the dopamine effect. Yeah. Like building something and releasing and seeing, you know, how users are interacting the same day and closing the loop so fast and then interacting. Yeah. Uh, is the it's one of the best drugs. And unfortunately, you know, that's something uh, that you're very detached from when you do venture capital, when the cycles are very long yeah. uh, and you never really know if something works uh, after because you have to wait for a few years to see how things are panning out. And you're not seeing those immediate effects. And like your business more on the macro, you need to see those bigger impacts rather than the small like day-to-day things of like the small releases. Yeah, yes. You have to grow a lot of patience for sure. Uh, So I think, you know, that's something you have to do a bit later in your life. Uh, Maybe you have to be a little bit detached from having to wait for something to happen very fast. Yeah. Uh, So I think, you know, it's kind of a maturity phase, right? Uh, Otherwise, if you haven't developed like the skill, uh, to wait and be patient and be strategic, uh, that's not definitely the right game for you, for no, someone. Absolutely. What would you say is the thing that you miss the most uh, over and above sort of the dopamine effect uh, of being on the other side? Yeah. As I said, I think, you know, it's it's all the user interaction more than anything, more than revenue, more than, I don't know, presenting in events or whatsoever. Uh, the fact that you can get something out of the door, immediately get feedback and see it being used and see people care about it. And eventually, I think, you know, you, people really care when they have very harsh critics, like on support. It means that they care. I think there was a time when, you know, there were some users of Baxens back in the day. Baxens was a developer tool. Uh, back in 2011, it was a very different market. So Baxens was an overseas company, most of the engineering in Greece, a developer tool, product-led and self-serve. Yeah. That was pretty much unfundable back in 2011. A uh, very different story today. Uh, but, you know, we managed to raise a very small amount and we grew very fast. We grew to a million dollars in revenue in like uh, 18 months after we launched pricing, which for that time it was good. Yeah. And we had a lot of developers. Like, you know, we were developers and we thought that we knew how to do B2B marketing, mostly through Stack Overflow, Reddit, and Hydro News. It worked. And, you know, especially when it comes to developer tools and you have an engineering audience, you know, they are very harsh with the way, you know, they provide feedback. Yeah. Uh, but I discovered, like, you know, there were some times that I would wake up, I would see an email from Johan Gerl, who was the director of engineering at Skype. And, you know, my heart would pump. I was stressed. Then I would just put it aside for a couple of hours and then, you know, just focus on, on, uh, on his feedback. And usually there would be some comments like, you know, uh, you know, this problem over there is like a spear in my eye. but guess what it's exactly this type of people that actually care about your product and they are so harsh because they care and that's something you know i figured out later you know when we got acquired by splunk it's then you know the feedback stopped yeah because people didn't care so much you know the way they could consume splunk was because you know someone sold it to them like a salesperson and they have to use it because it was there in their organization it was nobody decision let's say on the engineering side to use it so they didn't really care. Uh, whereas in Baxians, you know, they brought it in the organization. They wanted to be successful. And if it failed them, uh, you know, they will just escalate. And yeah. they will escalate, let's say, to me, to the founder, that I also care deeply about the product. Uh, so even though this was very stressful, I think, you know, it was fully aligned. It was all skin in the game, yeah. both on the user side and on the people working on the product. Even, you know, my engineers will support and they will 
do it like 3 a.m. after returning from a night's out of the bar when that was a thing. Yeah. Uh, and that created a great feedback loop. Uh, and you see that we know when there's this kind of, uh, call it like organizational decay. Yeah. Uh, which it wasn't like that the organization was wrong, but when we got acquired and was layered with other people and people who never had anything to do with the product and they had to support another three, four different, much bigger and more important products like Splunk Enterprise Core that was fielding millions and millions in sales. Yeah. And then some people had to do support for Baxons or Splunk Mint as it was branded. They didn't, you know, it was very small. Like, you know, why would they care? And it was a completely different audience, right? Uh, yeah. And then you could see that, you know, both on the customer uh, side and on the organizational side, you know, there wasn't this alignment. And yeah. then, you know, of course, like, even though we have become one of the most uh, popular tools for debugging mobile applications, uh, for monitoring them in real time, and for the first year after we acquired, we still were growing, but then as we were disintegrating the bugs and steam and were becoming part of Splunk, uh, which is very typical with most acquisitions, like I think 90% fail on the integration phase. Then you'll see like churn, churn in, coming in and actually seeing all this uh, user base evaporating. Uh, and that's usually very, very usual. Then, you know, there's a new startup that comes out. Most likely the technology is the same or even inferior, but it doesn't matter because what matters is there, there's like a set of people that they deeply care. Deeply care. Yeah, I, I love that point. Like you mentioned a few different things like I want to touch on. Like the one I think is like, it's almost a worry if you're not getting like harsh critics and harsh feedback, because like you say, like nobody really cares enough to give you the feedback. Yes. <laughs> so I, it's weird because I like there was this tweet I noticed this week. So Hill, who was the founder of Mixpanel, uh, is launching a new company now called Mighty App. And uh, he similarly, like they launched on Hacker News and he was like, uh, basically got torn apart uh, for what they just recently <laughs> launched and uh, the same sort of principles apply I think it's like if you're not getting that adverse reaction just as much as you get like the we love your product it's exciting if you don't have the opposite effect it's like you're really building nothing for or anybody like you need to have those reactions I think to know that you're onto something as well I think sometimes you know uh, you may just open and have your, uh, your email inbox and there's like zero emails there there are new emails or very few and you're all happy. Okay. There's nothing to do. You know, I can take a day or something, but you know, if that actually repeats, it's, it's a signal. Yeah. It's things don't matter. Things somewhere slipping in the crack, right. Uh, where, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, exploding, uh, an inbox is always like a sign of, uh, prosperity and progress, but if it's too quiet, then it means that what you do doesn't matter too much. For sure. We see this quite a lot as well. Like on the show, we discuss the concept as well of, if people aren't reaching out to support, like it's a little bit counterintuitive that people often see it as like an, an issue uh, when they do, but it's more of an issue when they're not actually, because it means that they don't care enough to actually try and reach out to support because nobody builds a perfect product. Like nobody has this amazing experience where any, no one's going to ever get stuck. So if they're yeah, not, or yeah. it's not always like, you know, coming back with uh, asking for help for with a bug or complaining about something. Yeah. Uh, people reach out support because they want something more uh, or because sometimes they even want to express like the gratitude, like, you know, thank you for what you have for you built. Yeah. Uh, so there people just want to talk to the creators, especially when you have like a smaller startup. Yeah. Uh, people maybe express admiration uh, or they just want sometimes to, to congratulate, which I think it's like, you know, the pinnacle of creation, like to have users that you never met somewhere around the world and saying thank you for what have you created. 
And the difficult parts like to be able to sustain this as you grow. Uh, it's yeah. really tough. And I think it is like, it is one of the best feelings. Like literally yesterday I was having a discussion with uh, one of our very few users that we have on our product in the moment. And just like that interaction lasted like 15, 20 minutes, like backwards and forwards, but I, it was super cool just to get that immediacy in terms of feedback. Like he went on, he saw something like that was missing or that he liked, or he had actually done a search for something that our product did, uh, which was like uh, incredible as well. Like just these insights, I think like they, drive the motivation and keep you moving forward and like it's really what you need to build a, a better product for these people as well the other thing you mentioned as well with this is what's yeah. i'm sorry uh, this is you know uh, and then the important thing is like to be able to replay you know these conversations to to the rest of the organization yes. because not all people are you know on the always all the time you know on these support channels Yep. All these interaction channels, and you have to showcase to the others because they have to take pride. And another thing I saw, like you know, moving from Maxence, like a software as a service startup, to a big enterprise software company like uh, Splunk, was that you know, uh, in the past the engineers were really close to the end customer, and they will see like the fruit of the labor being used or being criticized, so then they will fix it. Yeah. Uh, but when we moved, let's say, to a slower release cadence, when there was like a dedicated support team that was in the middle, then there, is, there was this kind of alienation. Like, you know, uh, they couldn't see like, you know, how their work was impactful. You know, some would say kind of the Marxist alienation uh, concept, right? Yeah. Uh, where, you know, someone who created something is not understanding the value or not seeing, you know, how it is impactful. Uh, yeah. That's super important. Like, you know, on one hand, you get like engineers complaining about doing support. Uh, but when they have zero support, zero customer integration, then they will complain again. Uh, so it's a, it's a very fine balance on how you create this uh, yeah. equilibrium between being active with customers, but also being dedicated on, you know, working on your roadmap and do the things that you like, which is create. Yeah, I love this one. We were actually having a conversation with the team yesterday as well. We were talking about uh, support. Uh, and then one of the engineers said, uh, like, yeah, and when they reach out to support, uh, then they'll let us know. I was like, they're going to be reaching out to you. Like, you are going to be the support. And he was like, he just started laughing as well as the team. But, like, I think this is really, really interesting. At, at Hotjar, I think when we got to that sort of scale where it wasn't sustainable for engineers to be doing it regularly, we had, like, twice a year there were meetups. And then we would have support days where everyone in the company actually went in and did support. And what was really interesting was you found like the engineers would go in, they'd answer like two or three tickets about the same topic. They'd get really annoyed about doing the same ticket over and over and they'd just go and fix the problem. Like, uh, and you ended up getting like these really good quick fixes uh, that solved like a lot of pain points for customers just purely because you had like the pain of the engineers going and doing this repetitive task that they realize is really inefficient. And um, they can't empathize as well when it's just a support rep saying, um, exactly. Uh, and I think, you know, this is not something, you know, you can cover by looking at analytics or, I don't know, Harvard Business Review papers or whatsoever. This yeah. is a deeply cultural thing. And I think the best way to do it is to demonstrate the skin in the game. And eventually leaders should be leading in by doing it themselves. Like yeah. if I think, you know, any leader like in VP or C-level never spends any time on support, uh, it's a countersign. Like, you know, that first they don't really care. Of course, a lot of them, you know, they have this kind of interactions when it comes, let's say, to big enterprise softwares. They have their QBRs with customers and customer councils. And, and it usually doesn't come, you know, through supporting someone on Zendesk. It usually comes in the form of having, like, you know, a get-together with customers, right? Yeah. Uh, 
but you know if customers are but if any kind of leaders are you know insulated from customers complaining or expressing their ideas about roadmap i think it's time to leave this organization and move somewhere else yeah i 100% agree with that like it needs to be within the culture within the dna uh, that everybody mm. understands like put the customer first and exactly. Mean speaking to them. It doesn't so, you know, the engineer has to see that the PM is active on that and he's doing it or maybe even up to the CEO, right? Yeah. Otherwise, you know, if people don't want to do it because, you know, it's for them becomes some, some sort of like a chore for people, yeah. um, then it's easy like to point to others and say, oh, yeah, this is a chore. I'm not going to do it. Nobody's doing it. Why should I do it? Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I think leaders should be leading in there. And almost like, part of the the cultural values and the way that you measure performance by within the team as well. Like uh, how is this individual supporting customers? Like how frequently are they speaking to them um, and making it really part of uh, the culture and job. The the other thing you mentioned then as well, and I think like this is probably uh, we discussed previous to the show as well, in my opinion, like one of the biggest places where churn uh, really starts is when you have this breakdown in alignment and you touched on it a little bit with your experience at BugSense and through the acquisition. Maybe talk us through a little bit more. So you're, at the time you said sort of you had this culture really close to the customer, everybody doing support, moving into BugSense then after the acquisition, like they, you started to notice this breakdown um, in communication and uh, alignment within the teams. Like, why do you feel like this is so critical when it comes to like attacking churn and retention? I just want to give a quick reminder that our sponsors of this episode today are Vitaly and Chargebee. Vitaly are giving away a free pair of AirPods to all qualified demos. So if you're in the market for a new CS platform, make sure to visit vitaly.io forward slash churnfm today. You can also grab a copy of the latest state of the subscription and revenue growth report by visiting chargebee.com forward slash churnfm and let them both know that I sent you. Now back to today's episode. Yes, I think uh, most of the customers, they are happy for you. They're not happy, but they're okay, you know, if things are not perfect, as long as you're responsive and you're fixing them. Like, nobody expects a perfect product. Uh, of course, there are some areas like, you know, security and infrastructure and revenue where, you know, uh, banks are not uh, allowed. Uh, but in any case, you know, people know that, you know, something will be stuck, something won't be working 100%. And they really care, first of all, that, you know, uh, the support really, really listens in. There is top in buy that, you know, things are going to be fixed soon. And I think, you know, they appreciate more a quick turnaround on fixing a problem than a great product, to be honest. Like, you know, sometimes people take a great product, like an amazing user experience for granted. If it's there forever, yeah. then okay, that's, that's how things are. Like, I haven't seen that, you know, there's skin in the game on your side that Andrew is actually listening to us and fixing all the things. So, for example, when I mentioned about that director of engineering at Skype, Johan, uh, who has very, been harsh, very with me eventually you know he just gave me like a recommendation letter to get my us visa uh so you can develop this kind of relationships by being there and being supportive yeah so what happened after the acquisition of course as you're a bigger organization and we have to comply with what they were doing so engineering now had to go through ideation gates and then they have to do budgeting about whether we can do this feature if there is enough qa and so on and then support there was a support organization right so Whereas before we're like a small team that was running in sprints and everybody was part of the team, let's say me doing the marketing, uh, the support. So everybody was know exactly what we're building and what is being uh, released and why we did it. 
now you know we had to release it and then i had to do like a virtual enablement call and have like three 30 people that were supposed to do support for for Baxims or splunk mint later and that would happen like once every three months and pretty much i will be on Zoom for an hour, tell them what we fixed and why it is important. Maybe I, I create a confluence page and that's it. That's yeah. not enough. That's not enough. That's not enough for marketing to create good collateral and that's not good enough for support, support to understand what's going on, why it's important and what has been fixed. Uh, so I think, you know, when you have this, there's marketing, there's product, there's engineering, there's support. Uh, pretty much, you know, every organization have their own metrics. And then, you know, you just gamify the metrics. That's it. You don't have any actual 360 view. You don't have skin in the game. You don't know how to work with engineers. You don't know how much stress they are or how much backload they are. Or engineers don't prioritize, you know, what's making, uh, you know, support people miserable because, you know, there is this infrequent interaction. And support just wants, like, to say we responded fast, even though the support answers were like, we're looking at it. Thanks so much. Uh, someone was going to look at it at six hours. Where before someone there, it could be an engineer, you know, things will go into Slack. If it was something too easy, support will pick it up and just answer it with with a uh, with, uh, with, uh, answer coming from the knowledge base. Yeah. Uh, or immediately, you know, it will get the attention of an engineer and tell support or they will just take it, right? Uh, so I think, you know, these smaller teams, more tactical, more 360 uh, are more important than having, you know, departments. I think departments... It's like, you know, in the medicine, right? You may be, I don't know, you have a heart issue, you go to the cardiologist and they say, well, you have a lot of cholesterol. So some people say it's associated now with stroke, which we don't know if it's actually is, to be honest. And they say, okay, here's statins. You get the statins, you're going to lower your cholesterol and you're not going to have a heart attack. That's fine, you know, job done. Then maybe, you know, you have a a failure in the liver, but, you know, the the cardiologist is fine. You didn't die of a heart attack, right? Yeah. Exactly, but you know the patient died. <laughs> uh, so I think this is what happens uh, when you have these very uh, strict departments. People are just looking, you know, that they did and they satisfied the metric that was assigned to their own department and to them. Yeah, but they're kind of missing the bigger picture. And I think this is why you see, you know, companies growing, and at the moment they have grew big enough, immediately there's a new crop of startups chasing them. And I don't think you know it's because of technology. It's just because you know people in this. 10, 30, 40, 50 people start up, they, they care more, they are more aligned, and this actually fights churn and actually leads to negative churn. Yeah, I love this, the analogy as well of sort of looking at it from the doctor's perspective and how everybody has their own goals and everybody sets off. And like having this deep alignment from the top down, I think is critical, like ensuring that, because it's inevitable, like as the company grows and scales, like, even if you do have 360 teams where everybody is like focused on a goal and they have all the specialties, ultimately you're still going to have multiple teams that are working uh, to multiple goals. So having like this clear structure at Hotshot is again, we use sort of OKRs uh, and they came from the top down and then each team had a clear understanding of how their metrics that they were focused on had a greater impact on the company's goals uh, overall, which their squad, their goal, like, and it cascaded, which was, uh, it was beautiful. I think there's a major problem there still, uh, still like, you know, people doing management science are still debating. Yeah. Uh, we have this notion of like, you know, the production line coming from Taylor, Taylor, which is Taylorism that, you know, a company is like an engine and yeah. comparts of different parts, which might not be the case after all. A company like any society can be actually an organism. 
So the fact that you know one department is functioning well doesn't mean you know the organization is uh, working or executing the way it should be. You know, yeah. maybe we should draw more knowledge from biology than physics. Uh, and that's something that a lot of people are now uh, looking after, like, you know, how you create more relationships between these organizations, between these different departments. It's not about having well-defined departments if these departments are not very well connected, if yeah. one person support doesn't, doesn't have direct relationships with engineers and so on. You cannot go through your top-level manager or go through your QBR or maybe something comes up very high on a dashboard at some point when you know the same ticket has now happened 10 times and because now it has to happen at least 10 times to be significantly in a dashboard then it should be escalated the damage may have been done because it was waiting to happen 10 times might be much 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 higher yeah. uh, so i don't think you know there's a very easy answer especially with, because biological systems are way more complex than modeling physics uh the complexity is astronomical yeah. Uh, so it's, it's a very different equation, but it really has to do, I think, at the end of the day with uh, first matter principles, how founders are thinking and whether, you know, they can replicate this thinking into their recruits, which is extremely hard. For sure. The, the way I see it as well, like, is essentially, specifically if you're working on software, like more often than not as well, you have like the product team which tends to get like the majority of the focus, the majority of the emphasis, and then everything like the product team is the gods of the company, like in a lot of places I've seen this. Um, and my perspective on this, I think, is that like when you're building a company, the product that you're building is actually the company. And every touch point, every interaction that your team has with your product, which is your company, uh, is a touch point where you can make an influence, where you can make an impact, where you have those wow moments. And like you mentioned it earlier as well, like you might have the best product, but actually like just that personal interaction with an individual within the company uh, that you help them and serve them, like will go way further in retaining customers and helping. And I think a great way is to sort of align the team around the jobs to be done uh, of like, what do your customers need to achieve? And then have teams and squads that revolve around uh, how you can actually make your customers successful as opposed to how you can organize internally uh, to better structure things. And like, I totally agree with you as well in terms of communication, like that's where the biggest breakdowns are happening is when teams aren't collaborating, when they aren't working effectively together and they don't have the clear picture uh, as a team. So I think that's uh, that's the whole point of a startup. Like, you know, sometimes there are some in quotes investors who say that, you know, you need to have like founding team, someone doing marketing or sales and one technical. Yeah. This is much BS. Uh, A startup is essentially a product org. That's what it is. And the CEO will be the chief product officer. That's it. There's nothing else. And because, you know, the distance between the team and the customers is so short, startups work out very well, even though they're a terrible place to work because everything is disorganized, things change all the time. But because you can actually see the impact of your work, then, you know, nothing else matters. That's, you know, when the magic happens. And you should be retaining this as much as possible and, you know, resist the change to bring, like, accomplished VPs because they had some great, I don't know, uh, I don't know, they were at Facebook before. So so what? You know, it was a different org with thousands of people. Uh, it's not working for an early stage startup. An early stage startup, it doesn't matter, you know, what are the credentials of people. Yeah. What really matters is like, you know, the, the skin in the game. Uh, so the more you can keep everybody having a lot of skin or soul in the game, uh, the better it will be. Uh, you know, the, the more they care about what they actually do, the better they will be at the end of the day. 
Yeah. Uh, so you have to actually, you know, make make sure that everybody's touching up everything, even, even if they don't like it. If they don't like like interacting with customers, maybe they're not right fit for an early stage startup. Because yeah. you have to close the loop all the time. And the more people close the loop, the better. And it's inevitable that you get to the changing of the gods. So like you have, like you say, some people that are way better suited for early stage uh, and then some people that are way better for later stage companies to uh, think. And it's in it, like it, at every company, I think this happens at a certain point when they get an infliction of a number of employees, 100, 200, where you start to see uh, like the earlier adopt, like the early employees start to leave, look for new opportunities better suited to them. Yeah. You have new VPs joining and bringing in structure that uh, not everybody enjoys. So this uh, compartmentalization of companies also shows up in tools, right? Yep. There's Zendesk with its own analytics for the support team. And then there's, I don't know, Jira, Agile, whatever for the engineering. And then product now has, you know, their own thing. Uh, and revenue has their own thing. So people are looking, you know, their silo. Now they're siloed and the yep. tools they're using reflects the silo, which is even worse. Um, so yeah. there is a problem because people cannot really align and they cannot see the big picture. So if only there was a tool where you, for example, you can get, you know, what's going on and support and revenue and user analytics, or maybe it was, you know, we had some terrible experiences because the app was super slow to load on Datadog, right? Yeah. So if only there was a tool where I can get all these different insights and data points from different tools and just see everything aligned, maybe they'll be able to align, you know, teams and make this more empathetic across organizations. So I don't know. If only. Now I see where the whole alignment concept came as well. I don't know if you were planning it from the start, but uh, great one. Yeah. So uh, as Vanos is alluding to, obviously we, we have a new tool. Uh, the company is called Avrio. And essentially what we're building is a collaborative insights platform that helps to break down these data silos. It helps to prevent wasted hours on research and gives your team a single source of truth that they can access anyway. So uh, with Avrio, essentially we're building a seamless experience for users uh, that's actually built into your workflow. So Avrio is an extension first experience, meaning that you can have access to it wherever you have access in your browser. Uh, you can capture insights very quickly and easily. So like Bano said, um, everyone has their own different tools within the organization. Everyone is deriving their own learnings and insights. And at the moment, this really lives in silos. So with Avrio, in an instant, you can quickly capture an insight, save it, and it's accessible then for the whole organization uh, to access. Uh, and then we give you tools as well where you can bring insights together to tell stories, to work on your next business case or experiment hypothesis. Uh, and as a product org, you can really then allow your team to contribute and be data-driven. So very often in the not, you have like a single PM or a designer going off and trying to understand the user and doing their research. And in the meantime, like this information lives and is all throughout the organization. It's in the support tickets coming through Zendesk. It's in the analytic report that Zendesk gives you at the end of the month. So what we're really trying to provide is an easy and simple way for teams to be able to capture and more importantly, share and have access to this information. Uh, so that it doesn't die at the bottom of a slide deck or a Google Doc um, and is actually surfaceable uh, and available to make an impact and to, to drive change within the company. So today we have some exciting news uh, that Banos as well and the team at Marathon are going to be leading our pre-seed round as well. So um, what is it that got you so excited, obviously, besides uh, the picture that you're, you've painted for the audience? Uh, yeah, first of all, we're really excited to be partnering with uh, Andrew and team uh, to build the future of cross-team organizational collaboration. Uh, so I really like the problem, to be honest, you know, as I alluded to, you know, breaking the silos is one of the 
issues that I really disliked when working in a big organization. Uh, for example, you know, having mentioned something, having created a pricing policy, but still people couldn't find it. Still people couldn't reference to it. It was so hard. Uh, so we really like the problem, and we also really like, to be honest, like you know what we say at uh, Preset. You eventually you don't bet on a company, you bet on a people and on an experiment on whether a company will exist in the first place. So we also really like Aladandrio, and uh, he had pitched me a couple of times before, one, once in Athens and one in San Francisco, with his older startup. That didn't work out, but you know that doesn't matter to be honest. Like you know, you build a relationship, and you know, by being uh, you know the 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 sloth that I mean, being an investor is you know you just wait and wait and some someday after a few years you say oh this guy actually has made all this progress uh, so I really like his trajectory so far so now it's time for me to invest uh, so that actually was part of uh, what is happening here as well that's very cool yeah I remember that first coffee in San Francisco we met uh, can't remember the exact place but I do have like still it was the creamery Fourth and King that I think shut down last year yeah. Very cool. Um, but yeah, so I'm super excited as well now to have the Marathon team. Uh, obviously, with the show, just for the audience, I need to give a bit more context because I think one of the things, um, where I, the reasons why I started the show, obviously, was because I was tired of hearing like this magic number, the silver bullet that you could solve uh, churn retention for. But that motivation really came uh, more than two years ago when I decided I wanted to start building a new company. I wanted to do my own business. But back then, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do yet. And like Bono said, like playing the slow game, I wanted to make sure what I was going to do next was going to be something that would motivate, excite me and uh, be like what I would want to spend uh, the next 5, 10, 15 years working on. And this problem actually came out of an issue that I have faced myself uh, working previously at Hotjar as head of business intelligence. Uh, seeing how like we were doing some amazing work, some amazing research, and ultimately just it wasn't being seen by the right people at the right time. Uh, and ultimately, we were wasting uh, good insights were going to waste. So I started the podcast in the beginning, just really trying to experiment, trying to find out ideas. And uh, actually, Avrio now is the fourth uh, product that I've experimented with. And I had a very methodical process, I think, in trying to understand and uh, work out what was going to be next. I would literally put together landing pages that look like the real deal. Like you would think this, this was a company that was up and running. Uh, I actually remember one time Brian Belfer from Reforge, I shared a product with him. I was like, Hey Brian, like uh, I'd like to get your feedback. And he's like, Holy shit. Like, is this a real thing? And I was like, uh, no, it's just a landing page. He's like, you got me fooled. Uh, so like uh, what I tried to do was really trying to understand like as a user coming to the page, like, did they feel that this is a real enough product so that they could then give me really good qualitative feedback and quantitative in terms of pricing research. So one of the things I really wanted to understand before building a company was, was there going to be a willingness to pay for this product and what would be the likelihood to buy? So I took the same methodology like I implemented at Hotjar, working with the research teams to do pricing and packaging research to try and understand, okay, how likely would people be to buy this product and what would they be willing to pay? And then could we build a business off of the back of this? Uh, so um, obviously two or three other ideas uh, I shelved based off of the back of this. One of them was just didn't sit right with me personally, but maybe uh, there's an opportunity there for others. Um, and then like Avril really just, as I said, like came as this uh, problem I faced internally, really saw that felt it frustrating, felt the pain. And then uh, did the research and said, okay, so this is what's next. And uh, here we are today. So um, you've been an experiment in the making over the last two years, listeners. So I want to thank you very much. And uh, over the next uh, few years, we'll continue the journey. We'll be sharing a little bit more about our ups and downs as well at Avrio. 
Uh, we'll be chatting about our churn and retention issues and how we'll be solving and tackling these issues along with speaking to the guests that we do now as well. So just a big, big thanks to everybody for listening to the show, for being supporting and like getting us to where we are today. So uh, to all the guests as well. And a, fan, uh, a nice surprise, actually, a few of our guests of the show are actually participating in this investment round as well. So the podcast has really brought like an amazing experience for me in terms of learning, connections, uh, and now even investors as well. So thank you for making what it is today. Thanks to the listeners. Uh, Banos, uh, it's been a pleasure chatting to you today. And obviously, we're going to have a lot more discussions uh, in the future and uh, we'll continue to to keep up. So I'm not going to wish you luck in the future because uh, it's, it's our luck together. We're working on these things together. The, is there any sort of final thoughts you want to leave with the listeners though today for the show? Um, if they want to reach out to you, like what would you advise is the best way um, if people are looking for investment or advice, like, or is there anything exciting that you want to share with the audience? Uh, yes, absolutely. You know, it's very easy to share, to reach out to everyone in these days, right? I'm always available at panos at marathon.vc. But I guess, you know, every scrap entrepreneur can always like guess the email. Uh, so it's part of the, of, you know, I think the selection process yeah. to be able to be scrappy and reach out to whoever you want. Uh, this type of entrepreneurs thrive in today's environment. Uh, uh, and final thought, I think, you know, it's really important for entrepreneurs to be thinking of first principles. Uh, I don't think, you know, what Paul Graham thinks it really matters. What really matters is that, you know, uh, of course, there are the hard skills, there's the technology uh, skills you have to build, uh, but then you also have to understand like human nature, because as talked before, an organization or a market is a living organism. And to be honest, like, you know, the human psyche, the human soul hasn't really changed in millennia. So being able to study a bit of the classics, uh, a bit of philosophy, I don't know, Mars Proust, or read the book, uh, The Pleasures and Sorrows of Work by Alain de Botton, I think can serve you in a very, very nice way. Uh, and what we said before about being able to having people being part of the process, the discovery process, or closing the loop and everybody feel invested in what they do is really important versus just giving them titles and moving them up the ladder. Uh, you move up the ladder and then you escape, if you have escape velocity. But if you have like, vested interest, if you think your work is valuable and it's being appreciated internally and externally, uh, that's what makes people uh, stick and do great things. Absolutely. Going back to first principles, I like 100% agree with this is like you can have all the structure, you can have all the science, but understanding people like to the core and how they work and operate is definitely going to be one of the most impactful things you can do. So Banos, thank you so, so much uh, for joining today. Excited now for the partnership going forward. And to the listeners, thank you for joining us on this journey and excited now to share with you uh, here going forward as well, uh, the journey with Avrio. Well, if you want to check out Avrio, it's avrio.com, A-V-R-I-O.com. And uh, we are open now uh, for beta. So come check us out. Give us your feedback. Give us your harsh feedback because hopefully um, we, you care deeply enough about the problem and the pain point that we're trying to solve that you'll help us build an awesome product together. So thank you so much. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, 
I would love to hear from you and you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week. And with that, I just want to say a big thanks again to Vitaly and Chargebee for sponsoring this episode. If you do decide to check them out at vitaly.io forward slash churnfm and chargebee.com forward slash churnfm, please make sure to let them know I sent you because tracking podcast advertising is traditionally very difficult and I want to make sure we deliver value to them both so that we can retain them as our sponsors. Thanks again for listening and we'll see you again next week.